we'll get going. It's really good to see you guys. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to bless our time together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come to You in the name and the power of Your Son, Jesus Christ, and through the privilege of You, Holy Spirit. We thank You for what You've done for us, that You've come to this earth and died on a cross to save broken people like us. And we thank You that You loved us enough uh, to do that. And so, Lord, today, uh, our our joy and uh, privilege will be to focus on You, um, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as our mediator. And we claim the promises that You, Holy Spirit, will point us to Christ and help us to know Him better. So please be with us now, Holy Spirit. Open our eyes, our ears, our minds, our lives to these truths. Please help us to receive these truths. Help us to believe these truths. And help us to not only... Uh, live these truths in our lives but share these truths with others you know every person in this room you ever know every need fear doubt hope and dream and my prayer is that through your word you will conform us to the image of your son christ jesus in whose name we pray amen, amen. Um, i've passed out a piece of paper to you um it's actually um it's actually four pages front and back but i only sent you the first page so that's all we're going to get through tonight um, my plan will be in the next uh July, August, September, and October. October is the last time I get to see you guys because y'all, y'all turn into. Uh, yeah, but I don't know if it's gonna be so intense this time. I don't know. The play practice. practice. Yeah, it might be a little play practice. Okay, well, in for the last eight or nine years, every November and December, I hadn't been able to come teach because y'all had play practice. So hopefully, if that continues, but my plan and goal is to take. There's four pages. My plan is to take four months to get through this. Uh, what we're we're learning here today. Um, this, what I've copied here is coming from something called the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. Um, it's a creed. The word creed, credo, creed means I believe. Credo, I believe. That's Latin for I believe. Where Tony, he left. Right? He's gone. Right? He's a Marine. And they have a creed, Semper Fidelis. What does that mean? Anybody know what Semper Always faithful, yeah, that's right. So they have a creed that they live by. The Marines live by. The Boy Scouts is semper preparata, always be prepared, right? And and so um, you'll go to some churches, and some churches will tell you we have no creed but Christ, right? We don't need those creeds. We have no creed but Christ. But saying no creed but Christ is a creed. It's what you believe, you see. And so what's happened is in the past through the history of the church. Um, Theologians, pastors, and teachers from times past have had to address heresies in the church, false teachings. And so what they've done is they've made these creeds as a way for us to have something to point to the Bible. That's all this creed does. It makes clear statements and then gives you scriptural references so that you can go in. And So if a friend of mine comes up to me and says, Hey, what do you believe? Well, I can't explain Genesis to Revelation in three minutes talking to them. But I can take small little snippets of what I believe and share that with them, and that's what this is. And so, um, for those of you who have been a part of our classes in the past, um, for about the almost last two years now, we've been doing Christ in the Old Testament. We've been seeing Christ Jesus in the Old Testament. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters, right? right. Well, every Jew person, every Jew that was raised in Orthodox would be able to quote that song, actually sing that song. That's what a psalm is. A psalm is a song. So just like me and you just sung, Yes, Jesus loved me. Yes, Jesus loved me. We grew up singing that song. Well, the Jewish people would have grown up singing Psalms 23. They would have known it. 
And it's about a good shepherd who takes care of his sheep. And then about 700, 800 years after King David wrote that song, his great-great-grandson comes along and stares down a group of Orthodox Jews who know that song and says, I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down for my sheep. And so Jesus is the focus of Psalm 23. It was hidden in the Old Testament is revealed in the New. And so all of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is Christocentric. It's all centered on Christ. It's all about Him. And we've been talking about that in the past. We've learned in this class as a group to see Christ in the Old Testament. Because the all of Scripture is Christocentric. Now for about the last two months, we talked about how the, the Gospel of Jesus Christ is Christocentric. The good news that saved you is all centered in Christ. It's not about you, it's about Him. And so tonight we're going to begin a, about a four-month, uh, a four-class study on Christology or the study of Christ and who He is. There's an old hymn that we sing at church that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His glorious face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. And so if you're in this room today and you are a child of God, you are born again, blood-bought child of God, then God has saved you to glorify Himself. Amen. It's not about you, it's about Him. And when we're young in the faith, we think it's about us. It's about what I've done. Oh, look at me. I got baptized. Oh, look at me. I go to church. Oh, look at me. I tithe. Oh, look at me. Me, me, me. And what you're going to realize as you grow in your knowledge of Scripture, you're going to realize it's not about you, it's about Him. When we were little children, everything was about I. That was the first word we learned was mine. Right? Mine. And it's about me. And if you ever see a kid, you will notice that everything in the world revolves around them. Or so they think. And we have a rude awakening when we come to the realization that it's not about us. And many of you in this room who have been struggling with the things that you've been struggling with, we're indulging in self-indulgence. It was all about you. That's what addiction is. Drug addiction is simply finding something other than God to pour my life into. And it's, very, it's a very selfish thing. It's all about you and about your feelings. But God didn't save you to live for you. God saved you to live for Him. And so He promises you, if you're in this room today and He has regenerated your heart, and His Spirit lives within you, the promise is, is that you will be conformed to the image of Christ. Amen. You're going to start dying to self and start living for Him. And it's going to be a bumpy, ugly road and you're going to make a lot of bad decisions and you're going to fall in temptation. You're not Jesus. Only He can fully stand up to temptation without failing. But He has given you His promise that despite you, He's going to make you who you're supposed to be. He's going to conform you to the image of His Son. And, and if you truly are a child of God, you will be able to look back in your life over the past 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and you will start seeing, you know what? All along He was dragging me, kicking, screaming, and conforming me into the person I'm supposed to be instead of the person that I was. That process of being conformed to the image of Christ is a fancy term called sanctification. He saves you, regenerates you, and conforms you to the image of His Son. That whole process of sanctification is His work, not yours. Now, you do work, 
Because He's working in you. And if you don't work, you will be miserable. Because the little light of mine, you're not letting it shine. You see? But if He is at work in you, He will conform you to His image. And the process that He uses to do that is through His means of grace. And the means of grace that He uses is His Word and His Spirit. Those are the only two things that conform you to His image. His Word and His Spirit. And as you grow in His Word, as His Spirit conforms you to Him, you will begin to realize more and more that it's about Him and less and less about you. All of this struggle that you're going through with your addictions is about you. And you've got to get beyond you. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. See, it's not about you anymore. And until you get that through your thick skull and your hard heart, you won't grow. As long as you make it about you, and we all do it, guys. We're all fallen. We're all Adam's kids. And we all act just like our daddy did. But if he is conforming you to his image, you're going to start seeing a change. It's going to start being more about neighbor and God and neighbor and not me. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So the proper way to live is for God, for others, then for self. Before you were saved, you lived the exact opposite of that. It was all about you, and then if there was anybody around you that could help you, it was about them. And then if I really get in a bad situation, I'll holler out and see if God can help me with it. So as a saved child of God, it gets flipped on its head. But the point being is this. The Word of God is what conforms you to the image of Christ. And it is His words and His Spirit that does the work. But you have got to involve yourself in His Word. And as you involve yourself in His Word, you have to realize that that Word is about Him, not you. (coughs) How many of you, the first thing that you do when you get your Bible is open it up and you read yourself into it? You read about Jacob or or Rebecca or or one one of these people in the Bible and you go, oh, that's just like my life. You see, we do that. It's about me. And there's nothing in the world wrong with seeing that we as humans all make the same kind of mistakes. But the reality is that word is given so that you can see Christ, not you. When you go and look in the mirror every morning and that beautiful person that brushes their teeth and combs their hair, whose reflection do you see? You see your own. The point of Scripture is for you to use the Scriptures as a mirror to see Christ reflected from you. You see how that works? So we have to die to self and live for Him. And we have to understand that it's about Christ. And so that's what we're going to see today. Um, <clears throat> we're going to start with, uh, if you see this piece of paper that I gave you, there are actually eight or nine, maybe ten subjects that we're going to work on. We're going to see that God chooses Jesus to save sinners, that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, that Jesus is the mediator, that Jesus is aton- we're going to see Jesus' atoning work, we're going to see that Jesus accomplished, accomplished reconciliation. We're going to see that Jesus is the Savior of the Old Testament saints too. That's very important. We're going to see that Christ fully saves everyone He died for. He is the Good Shepherd. How many sheep does He lose? Not one. If He loses one, He's not the Good Shepherd. 
And we're going to see that Jesus is the only Savior and mediator. We're going to see Jesus as a prophet, priest, and king. Now tonight, in our class tonight, we're only going to work on that first topic. God chose Jesus to save sinners. We're going to work on that mainly tonight. But in these subjects, we're going to talk about the person of Christ and His work. Who He is and what He does. You see how that works? Alright, so... My life verse, uh, if I don't know if you all have one or not. Maybe you do. I don't know. Everybody should have a little life verse, something that God used to really speak to them at some time in their life. And my life verse is Romans 11.36. And this is what it says. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be the glory forever. Amen. All right? It's at the end of a doxology where Paul says, who knows the mind of Christ? That He is so beyond us that we would never understand. He gives us glorious doxology, doxologos, these words of praise about who God is. And at the end of it, he sums it up in Romans 11.36 by saying, For of Him, and through Him, and to Him are all things to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You see how that works? And the, the, the key to that is, of Him, He created everything. Your salvation came of Him. Through Him, the reason that you're going to get a glorified body one day and inherit a new heaven and a new earth is because He's the one keeping you saved. It's not something you're doing that keeps you saved. It's His work as your mediator, your priest, and your king that saves you. So it's of Him. Creation is of Him. He created everything. It's through Him. The whole world, every star, every molecule in the universe is controlled by Him. Of Him, through Him, and to Him. On the final day, we'll all kneel before Him and say, Glory, glory to the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. It's about Him. And you see why I chose that as my life verse? Because I have lived the first, pretty much the first 40 years of my life for me. And I was an empty, miserable shell of a man. And I still battle every day with the old self. I still struggle with lust. I still struggle with pride. I still struggle with envy. I still struggle with... Uh, coveting other people's things. Like, I struggle with those things every day. But the difference in me now and the me that was before was now I struggle. Before, I just went out and embraced all of those things. You see? As a child of God, now that He lives in me, now I have the power and the willingness to fight against those things that used to keep me in, be helpless and hopeless. So now that I have Him... It's about Him. And I always use that verse to remind me it's not about me, it's about Him. Of Him, through Him, and to Him. The world revolves around Him, not me. The world is not egocentric. The world is Christocentric. And if I can always keep that in mind, and when I get into the Scripture see Christ, then it helps me in my understanding of who He is and what He has done for me. So, the first passage of Scripture we're going to look at tonight is 1 Timothy 2.5. Right. So the theme of this this whole class is that Christ is the mediator, right? The go-between. He's the one that mediates between Adam and the Father. Between man and God. He's the mediator. He's the go-between. And so if we talk about this mediator, let's look at 1 Timothy 2:5. 1 Timothy 2:5 and it says this. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. 
there is one God and one mediator. Right? So, that means that when I hear people, I have people come to me and say, I really want you to pray for me. All right? I can intercede for you in prayer, but I am not your intercessor. That's Jesus. If He lives within you, you need to pray. There's a lot of people that want to pass off the responsibility of their prayer to others by saying, hey, pray for me. When in reality, they're not praying themselves. Why? Because it's about me. I don't want to talk to God. If I talk to God, i got to depend on Him. So, we need to understand that He is the mediator. There is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Alright? So, let's go to, if you'll see that subject one... God chooses Jesus to save sinners. There was an eternal plan and eternal purpose in Christ coming to the earth. It was planned before the foundation of the world, and that plan was set in place by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit before He ever said, let there be light. That plan was in place. And you, if you're a child of God, before the foundation of the world, He knew you. And he knew that one day you were going to be dying and dead and trespassing and sin. And he would come and die on that cross to redeem you. To purchase you and to purchase your salvation. And it was planned before the world was ever founded. And that plan has been taking place since God said, let there be light. And that plan will continue to take place into eternity. It's God's plan. And Jesus is the center of that plan. It's of Him, through Him, and to Him. Right. So... Um, You'll see what it says there. In His eternal purpose and according to the covenant made between them, that's between God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God was pleased to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, His only begotten Son, to be the mediator between God and humanity, to be the prophet, the priest, and king, head and savior of the church, the heir of all things, and the judge of the world. From all eternity, God gave Jesus a people to be His offspring and to be redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified at some point in time through Him. Alright, so, if a friend of yours comes up to you and says, Who is Jesus? You can say, Jesus is the mediator between God and man. You can say He is the the prophet, the priest, and the king, the head and savior of the church, the heir of all things, and the judge of all the world. From all eternity, God gave Jesus a people to be His offspring and to be redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified at some point in time through Him. So what we're going to do now, now that is something that a theologian wrote. That is not God-breathed. What do I mean by that? The Scripture is God-breathed. It means that the Scripture inspired and breathed into the men what they wrote. And so every word of Scripture that you read is breathed out of the mouth of God. Do y'all remember in the garden when Adam was a piece of dust and God formed him into a man? What did He do to make him alive? He breathed life into him. And these words that you read from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 is the very breath of life that regenerates you and gives you eternal life. You see how that works? Why is it so important we stay in the Scripture? Because they are the very source of life. Right, And so we need to understand that uh, as we begin to think about who Jesus is and about the fact that 
He is our mediator. So what we're going to do, these words are written by a theologian to address certain heresies and certain tendencies to get obscure from the script, to, to, to skew off from the scriptures. And what you'll see is, you'll see, see where it says the mediator between God and humanity? One, that's a footnote. And there's going to be some verses that go along with that. See, the prophet, two, there's some verses that go along with that. So what we're going to do is we're going to see tonight, what I hope that you hear in this lesson that we're teaching tonight is that God is our mediator. All right, that's very important that you understand that you have someone who cares about you that can go to the Father for you. He is the mediator. Not only is he the mediator, but he is the prophet. He is the priest, the high, great high priest. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the head and savior of the church. He's the heir of all things. He's the judge of the world. And from all eternity, God gave Jesus a people to be his offspring. Those are the things that I want you to focus on tonight. So now what we're going to do is we're going to go into the Scriptures and prove those points. You see how that works? We're going to take each one of those. That's not just something that some preacher one day said, you know what, I think I'll write a little summary of who Jesus is. And he wrote that out. Again, that's not God-breathed, but it is founded in Scripture. It points us to the Scripture and said, this is where you know who Jesus is. So let's look at that first passage. Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42, and we're gonna we're actually gonna go uh, get a little bit more than just 42. One, we're gonna read a few passages of that text in order to get some context. Now, Isaiah chapter 40 through 48 ish is is basically it's really cool if you ever want to read it. It's a it's basically God putting the beat down on all of the false idols that the Jewish people were worshiping. Like you've been worshiping these idols, but I'm God, and He basically just Puts, puts all of the idolatry of the world on blast and says, I'm the real God, they're all idols. And that's what that whole, this whole, the context of this comes in. But in Isaiah 42, we're going to see something very important. Let's look at Isaiah 42, 1 through 9. Now, remember, Isaiah was written probably about 700 years before Jesus ever walked the earth. Actually, what, I mean, 700 years before Jesus walked the earth in a human in human flesh. Because He did come to the earth as the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. We've seen Him there. But as far as being clothed in flesh and walking among the people, that happened when He was born of the Virgin. You remember that, right? But this was written about 700 years before that. So to show you that the Scriptures are inspired, we're seeing that God is writing about Jesus before He was ever here. Look what it says. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. Now, who's saying this? Yahweh, Jehovah, God, the covenant keeping, promise keeping creator of the world. I will put my spirit upon him. Y'all remember what happened to Jesus when he was baptized? Right? The spirit came down and settled upon him. I'll put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations to the peoples, the ethnos. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor will he make his voice heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth, and the coastland will wait expectantly for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, 
who created the heaven and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I am the Lord. I called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. I will appoint you as a covenant to the people and as a light to the nations. I've called you in righteousness. I will hold you by the hand and watch over you. I will appoint you as a covenant, a promise. A covenant is a promise cut in blood. I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. So God is saying this about who? Look look back at the beginning. Verse 42. What does it say? 42.1 says, My servant. Right? So who is He talking about? His servant. And who is the servant going to be? He is going to be a covenant to the people, a promise cut in blood, and a light to the nations. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows Me will never walk in darkness. Remember He said that. Alright? To open blind eyes and to bring prisoners from out of the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. Can anybody in here testify to that? Alright? I am the Lord. That is My name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. Before they spring forth, I proclaim them to you. Alright, now, so, this servant who is coming is a prophecy of Christ. I want you to notice something. Now, a lot of people tell you, well, there's nowhere in the Bible that says that Jesus is God. Right? But I want you to watch something right here. Look what it says. Verse 8 of 42. I am the Lord. That is my name. Who is that? Yahweh speaking. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another. Alright? So who get, who does God share His glory with? Who does God share His glory with? Read it again. No one. No one. So God shares His glory with no one. Right? Alright, keep your finger right. Well, we're actually done with that passage. Turn with me really quickly to John 17 to the high priestly prayer. Y'all remember that? Remember Jesus was praying for the people? Alright? John 17, verse 1. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up His eyes to heaven, He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that the Son may glorify You. Even as You have given Him authority over all flesh, that to all whom You have given Him, He will give eternal life. This is John 17, 1. John 17, 1. Alright? In verse 2, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. What that's telling us is the church is a gift from the Father to the Son. The church is the bride of Christ. Okay? And the bride is a gift from the Father. The Father says, Here is your bride. See how that works? Alright, now look what it says again. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give them eternal life. So what does Jesus come to do? Give eternal life to who? All that the Father has given him. Now watch what it says next. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ from whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, the funny thing is, Jesus had not on the cross yet, has He? No. How can He say, I have glorified you by coming and accomplishing everything you've given me to do? How can He say that? How can He say that when He hadn't been to the cross yet? Because he was slain before the foundation of the world. 
Right. Now, he did not... That's true. He is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Now, he did not die on a cross before the world was founded. The point being is this. That in God's providence, in God's decree, God said before He ever said, let there be light, He said, this is how everything is going to fall out. And not one thing that God decreed does not happen. So if Jesus said right here that He has already accomplished what... It's because it has already been decreed by the Father and it is good as done. That makes sense to everybody? Yep. It's going to happen. If you are a child of God, you're in this room, He's put a seal on you, He's put a spirit in you, you will be saved. You have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved, and it's because God decreed it for Him from the very beginning. Amen. It's about Him, not you. You see how that works? But watch this. Now, Father, here we go, verse 5, glorify Me together with Yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was made. Let me read that again. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was made. Now, you stay there and I'll go back to that, that Isaiah 42 passage. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another nor praise to a graven image. You see? God the Father, God the Son, Holy Spirit. All one. They're one being, three persons. Now, if you figure that out, then write a book on it and sell it because nobody's ever been able to figure that out. If you could understand that, you would be God. And you can't understand that. I can't understand that. Right? The Father's not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. But they are all God. God is one being and three persons. And the Trinity is very important to remember because it's the Father who sent the Son. It's the Son who redeemed us on the cross. And it's the Spirit that now confirms that work. All three members of the Trinity play a part in your salvation because they're all God. <clears throat> and because they're all God, that means that that work is going to be done. Jesus doesn't lose anybody. The Holy Spirit doesn't mess up and let one slip through the cracks. And everyone that the Father gives to the Son will be saved. You say, now wait a minute. Now there's people in hell. Well, yeah, there are people in hell. But none of His sheep are there. His sheep do not perish. Right? Now, so, He is the mediator between God and humanity. Let's look at 1 Peter 1, 18-21. Let's look at that. Peter what? 1 Peter... One verses eighteen to twenty-one. All right, this is what it says. Now, it, the the passage there says First Peter nineteen to twenty, but I want to read a couple of verses before and after just to give us some context of what we're reading here. All right, so First Peter eighteen, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. All right but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last days for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Let me read that again. 
knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things. Now, what does it mean to be redeemed? Who knows what it means to be redeemed? Redeemed. Ball back. back. To be purchased. All right? I go to the store. I put my groceries on the counter. They ring them up. And if I do not pay the lady and grab those bags and walk out the door, they're going to pull me back in and arrest me for shoplifting. If I redeem them, it means that I pay whatever that total on that cash register says. And by paying everything that that cash register says, that property now belongs to who? Me. It's mine. I redeem it. All right? So you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers. So he said you lived a feudal life a life that was inherited by your from your forefathers. What does that mean? I hear people all the time talk about generational curses. All right, some of you in this room say, "Well, I'm an alcoholic or a drug addict because my mom and dad were." No, you were an alcoholic or a drug addict because you were a child of Adam and you were fallen and dead in trespass and sin, and you were acting just like what a dead person does. You die. The generational curse started with Adam, not your mom and dad, but you inherited those conditions from your forefathers. And your life was futile. It had no meaning. You see how that works? But what is he saying right here? You you were redeemed from that futile life with the precious blood of the Lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Now look what it says next. For He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for your sake. Who did He appear for? The redeemed. The ones that He was going to purchase on the cross who through Him are believers in God. Through Him we are believers in God. What does that mean? The reason you are a believer is because Christ Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit and through His Word reached out and said, no, I love you too much to let you keep living like that. And He purchased you out of this world and made you His. You see? It's of Him, not you. It wasn't a decision you made, it was a decision He made. Your decision is a reflection of His decision. And He always has to be the foundation. The Bible never calls the children of Israel the choosing ones. He calls them the chosen ones. The elect. He never calls them the electing. Your salvation was based on a choice that was made before the foundation of the world. Now if that don't put you on the floor and make you think nothing will. God knew you. He knew everything about you. He knew every thought, word, deed, and act, every feeling, every emotion, everything that you are ashamed of, everything that you've done in your life that you would never tell anybody. He already knew it before you ever did it. And yet He loved you enough. He came down on a cross 2,000 years ago to save you. He died on that cross knowing who you were going to be so you could become who He created you to be. You see how that works? Alright, so... Jesus is a mediator between God and humanity. Number two, He is the prophet. The prophet. Let's look at Acts 3, and we're going to look at 12 through 26. Acts 3, 12 through 26. All right, I'm going to put the, the speed on now. We're going to have to get through. I want to get through these passages before we get done. I only got about 10 or 15 minutes. So let's go to Acts 3. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Acts 3. And this is a sermon by Peter. All right. And we're going to look at 12 through 26. But Peter saw this and and, uh, replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we made this man to walk? 
The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His servant, Jesus, the one you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You put to death the Prince of Life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact that we are witnesses. And on basis of faith in His name, in the name of Jesus, which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through Him has given Him perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did, but the thing which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all of the prophets, that His Christ would suffer, He is thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent. And return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that the time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that He may send Jesus the Christ appointed to you, whom heaven must receive until a period of the restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from the ancient times. Moses said, alright, so what is Peter fixing to do here when he says Moses said? He's fixing to quote the book of Exodus or Deuteronomy. The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you will give heed to everything that he says to you. Right? So Moses made a prophecy that one day God was going to raise up a prophet from among the people that everybody would listen to. And so what is Peter claiming right here? He's claiming that Jesus is the prophet that Moses prophesied about. Remember, all Scripture is about Jesus. So back all the way back in the wilderness experience when Moses was telling the people, one day God's going to raise up a prophet that you will listen to. And so now what is Peter doing after Christ has ascended into heaven? Peter's telling the very people that crucified him, you nailed the prince of life to a tree. You nailed the very prophet of God that Moses, who you depend on, promised would come. He is the prophet. Everybody, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, all those guys were inspired by Jesus to say what they said. He is the prophet. And it's all about Him. You see how that works? Now, not only is He the prophet, but He's the priest. Alright? Um, in Hebrews 5, 1-6, through 6, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. Again, I'm going to speed up because I want to get this done. Hebrews 5, 1-6. through It says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men and things pertaining to God in order to offer both gift and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, that's me and you, since he himself is also beset with weakness. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sin as for the people, so also for himself. And no one takes this honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. So also, Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a what high priest, but he said, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And just as he also said in another passage, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Alright? So what is he doing right there? In Hebrews 5, he is quoting Psalm 110. The writer of Hebrews is quoting the book of Psalms and saying, in the book of Psalms, Psalm, they didn't have numbers on them back then, but in that Psalm, G, uh, 
it was foretold that the Messiah would be a priest after the order of Melchizedek, and now what is this telling us right here? That Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So who is our high priest? Jesus. Right? And for you to go and talk to some priest and think that he is your intercessor between God and man, that's wrong. Jesus is the priest. We can intercede for one another through prayer, but it's only through Jesus that we get to God. That's not man's work. That's Jesus' work. He's the high priest. So he's the prophet. He's the priest. And also he's the king. Look at Psalms 2. Turn with me really quickly to Psalm 2. Again, I'm reading these very fast, but I have given you this page so that you can go back and check it on your own. You should be doing that for every teacher that comes to this place, by the way. Write down what they're saying. Write down what passage of Scripture they're using and go back and make sure that what they're saying is what the Scriptures are saying. Because if I'm saying something that the Scriptures are not saying, you ball it up in the trash and throw it in the trash. Alright. So Psalm 2 says this. Why are the nations in a uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and His anointed, saying, Let us tear these fetters apart and cast away their cords. He who sits in the heavens... Who's sitting in the heavens right now? Yeah, Jesus. He's sitting on the right hand of the Father. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then He will speak to them in anger and terrify them in His fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king... Upon Zion, my holy mountain. So, Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Is that going to take place when He comes back and establishes new heavens and a new earth? Yes, but it's already been established. He is the King of kings. And He is ruling and reigning from on high. Remember, that seat at the right hand of His Father in heaven is way higher than any seat in any temple or any church here on the earth. That heavenly throne that He sits on is the highest of the highest. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. He sits above all. He is the King. All right. Now, look at to to emphasize that. Let's go now to Luke one thirty one. Remember Luke one thirty one, Matthew, Mark, Luke. This is Mary talking, I think. Let's see, Luke one thirty one. Actually, it's an angel talking, and this is what he says. Luke 1, and we'll start at verse 30. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Remember when Mary came and announced, uh, the angel came and announced to Mary she's going to have the baby Jesus? Look what it says. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and, his, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. All right? He is the king. Not only is he the king, he's the head and the savior of the church. Let's look at Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, that's to your right a little bit. Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians. Ephesians 1. He is the savior and the head of the church. Head and savior of the church. Ephesians 1. And we're going to look at verses 15 to 23. It says this, For this reason I too have heard of the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ which exists among you and your love for all the saints. I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. So Paul is making a prayer right here. Now listen at the request in his prayer. Look at that again. I pray, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. And when He's coming back, is that what it says? No, it says revelation in the knowledge of Him. What is the Holy Spirit doing? Pointing us to Christ. It's about Him. And Paul is praying right here that the Spirit of God will give you a knowledge of who He is. Who is He? Look, I pray that out of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know the hope of His calling, the riches of His glory, and the inheritance of His saints. And what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And He has put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him a head over all the church, which is body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. So who is Jesus? He's the head and Savior of the church. Got two more to go. Three more to go and then we'll be finished. He is the heir of all things. Hebrews 1, 2. Now, I'm, I'm going to skip that one. You can go look at that passage on your own. What does it mean to say He's the heir? Do you remember the parable that Jesus told about the uh, the wine, the people that were growing wine? and they? Uh, no, he, he had the vineyard. And and he sent his people to come back and see what how they were doing and what did they do. They said, "Oh, these are his servants. Let's kill him." Yeah. They killed all the servants. And he said, "Well, I'll send my son." And when he came, what did the people say? "Oh, there's the heir. Let's kill him, and then the inheritance will be ours." Right. So, what does it mean to say that he's the heir? That's exactly right. He inherits everything. What? New heaven, new earth, all power, all authority. And the Bible teaches you and me that as His children, we are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Because He inherited it, He shares it with us as His brothers and sisters. So what is He? He's an heir and we inherited that. What is it called when you inherit something? Right? I don't know. Well, you inherit it. But... How, how do we find out we inherited something? There's a last will and testimony and they tell you you inherited it. Alright, what do you do to get an inheritance? Claim to your son. Yeah, that's it. Alright? Huh? You just receive it. That's exactly right. It's not something you do. Eternal life is not something you do. It's something that's given to you. And it's not because you're good. It's because He's good. Right? And what does it cost you? Nothing. What does it cost him? His life. Right? If your grandparents or your parents or somebody left you something, they had to die in order for you to get it. Yeah, they had to die in order for you to receive that. And the reality is you and I are not good sons and daughters. They gave it to us not because we were good, but because they loved us. And they were and we're their children. And it works the same way with Jesus and the inheritance of eternal life. He gives it to us because he's God and he's good and he loves us and we're his children. Amen? All right, so, heir of all things, judge of the world. Well, what does that mean? That means that on the final day, everyone will stand before him and answer for what they've done. He's the judge. 
when he's talking to somebody and they say, well, I feel like the Bible is, well, it don't matter what you feel. You're not the lawmaker and you're not the judge that enforces it. Your feelings are insignificant. What this says is what goes. And it's these words that will judge us on the last day. The standard is not going to be flexed or changed for anybody. This is the standard, His Word. And if you're in this room today and you have never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, repent. Turn from sin and self and turn to His forgiveness, His mercy, and His grace. Because you are either on the final day going to inherit His mercy and grace or you're going to inherit His judgment. And it's that simple. He's a Savior to all who will turn to Him. To anyone who will turn to Him, He will save them. Anyone turn, He will no wise cast out. That's what He said, right? Turn to Him. Trust Him. Stop depending on yourself and depend on Him. Turn to Him and trust Him. So, He is to judge. And then, the last verse, and then we're done for tonight. I promise, I know y'all want to go get your donuts now. From all eternity, God gave Jesus a people to be His offspring. And to be redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified at some point in time through Him. Alright, let's look at Romans 8. That's our last pastor we're going to look at tonight. I promise. Romans 8. Right? Everyone in this room, almost everyone in this room, I'm going to say, almost everyone in this room would know uh, Romans 8. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him, to those who are called to glory and permanent. Right? We all, a lot of people know that verse. But let's look now. At Romans 8. Let me see if I can find it. Maybe I'm telling you wrong. Here's Romans 8. Okay, 8.28, for we know that God, through God, He causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those who He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. What does it mean to say that He's the firstborn? Was Jesus the first man to be born on the earth? No, Adam was. So when we hear that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, what that means is to begot something means to procreate it or to not to create it, but to to give it. So in other words, you are only capable of begetting a child, a human child. A duck begets a duck, a frog begets a frog, a cow begets a cow. To say that Jesus is the only begotten Son means that He is of the Father. God begets God. See how that works? Jesus is a Son by nature. We are sons by adoption. Big difference. He's the only begotten. But to say that Jesus is the firstborn, the firstborn of all creation does not mean that He was the first thing born in all of creation. What it means is he has the title of firstborn. What does firstborn get? The inheritance. You see how that works? So, 
He predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these He predestined, He called. And these whom He called, He justified. And these He justified, He also glorified. What should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. So what it's saying is, is that I can live confidently in the fact that God foreknew me. It doesn't mean to say that He knew me like, oh, I know all, the, all of my friends on Facebook. That word know is the word yada. And in, in, the old, in Hebrew it's yada. Adam knew his wife. He knew his wife in an intimate way that nobody else was to know her in. And the spiritual bond between a child of God and the Father is a bond of knowledge. God knows you. He knew you before the foundation of the world. You see how that works? And what does it say? To those He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. So that He would be the firstborn among midrath. Now, the ones He predestined, He called. And those He called, He justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. That's known as the golden chain of redemption. That chain is never broken. If He foreknew you, if He foreknew you, then you are predestined and not only are you predestined, but you will be called, you will be justified, and you will be glorified. And that chain's never broken. Because it's the very decree of God. And it's all centered in Christ. So, the end of class, Jesus is our mediator. He is our prophet, our priest, our king, our head and savior, our heir of all things. He's the heir of all things and the judge of all the world. And so. I hope that in the coming classes that we have together, we can more focus on the fact that Jesus is about Him, not us. Amen? Amen. Father, thank You for this time together. Thank You for this chance to talk about Your Son, Jesus, in whom we have redemption through His blood. And we thank You so much for allowing us to have Your Word so that we can know You. Help us to take these words, or You, please, Lord Jesus, take these words and hide them in our hearts so we might not sin against You. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.